1: By the fifth episode, we just started getting really weird. I think I was naked in Alice Snow's house by the fifth episode. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to OVW Overdrive, the show that always kicks out of two. I'm Detective Brian Kennison. I've been at Davis Arena for five days. I haven't used the bathroom while awake for four days. I've eaten three mice, but I figured it out, Steven. You're putting the gauntlet down, you're ready for all comers, and you've been very impressive thus far. So you hold on to that title for
0: a long time. Oh yeah, me too. I'm not worried about it at all.
1: And I'm not saying like so I'm scared of you. <laughs> you should be scared. Okay, this one's from YouTube. OVW's these days is not near as good as commentators of the past. When did you put Dean Hill's genitals on commentary? Their words are like farts to my ears. That's more offensive than the. I don't know how he got that many characters. Oh, it's YouTube. That's why. Yeah, what, yeah, whatever, it's whatever not Twitter. Want. That's genuinely from the bottom of both of our stupid idiot hearts. Thank you.
2: Ryan. Now arriving on Cultaholic Island, it is the voice of OVW Brian cadison Brian, how you doing? I'm doing
1: lovely, Tom. Thanks for having me on your beautiful island.
2: I must say, it looks a lot like my home, which is very (laughs) inviting. (laughs) We made your room look exactly like your your room, your office in your in your home. A
1: great oh, expense. Man, I, was just, I was just telling you, I, thought, I felt like you and I couldn't uh, actually cross paths because we were having trouble with scheduling. And oh, if, the, mate, if uh... we did, it would break the simulation. You say <laughs> you created a replica of my home? It just adds to the... I really feel like this simulation thing it might be onto something now.
2: Here's the thing, if you're listening to this at home. Here's the thing. Brian and I have been trying to get this interview together. I, I think, I think probably since the first appearance of Veer Mahan and and and, and <laughs> I, I, I and i'm upset that veer came before you and i got to record this you know the universe sometimes the dominoes
1: got to fall and it, it was like you know not before veer but <laughs> right after so he like it had to happen he had to come first veer yeah, always I, comes I first or 50th or 100th or 150th <laughs> the man came that's all that matters
2: he oh he, came. he came and we all rejoiced um, but that was we, we are we're off the back of wrestlemania weekend uh it's been a, a fun old time you were telling before we started you had yourself a little garden party for it which sounds like a lovely time
1: it was beautiful uh yeah so it was just going to be uh me and the wife because you know there's a couple like i with ovw it's hard for me to even keep up with wrestling as much as i used to because there's just so much to do so i didn't even know really all the backstory going into it. i was like I really hope I enjoy this, you know. It's like uh, going to see a movie that you've seen 10 seconds of a trailer of. You just you hope for the best. You know some of the actors. But so not only do we end up watching it, it'd be really good. It ended up being fantastic. It kind of escalated cuz uh, Tony Gunn, OVW, former heavyweight champion Tony Gunn and his wife ended up coming over. Um, and then we had a couple of other friends that kind of reached out, like, you guys doing anything? I was like, well, apparently we are. <laughs> so we ended up having an impromptu uh, gathering of like wrestlers and comedians kind of uh, combining my, my two worlds and it ended up being a great time. And i uh, really proud of myself. I built a fire pit, impromptu too, too like, because we're going to have people over. I was like, babe, I'm going to build a fire pit. And it was, uh, I was really proud of myself. Talking Look about at you Superman. go.
2: Yeah. And, uh,
1: Tony Gunn had to help with the actual fire uh a bit but I was there and I supervised I you were you
2: pit. were the best supervisor of that fire pit Brian it, it couldn't have been made without me looking over his shoulder <laughs> want to talk a lot about the OVW family uh, that you that you were uh, with over WrestleMania weekend uh, in a little bit but we're here Brian because uh we needed to build another fire because we're stranding you on Colter Island and uh, transition. <laughs> I know, right? Thank you. Software. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, while whilst you are there, uh, you're going to have three wrestling matches to watch uh, to keep you entertained, among other things. But um, we're going to go through throughout the interview your three matches that you would choose to watch whilst you are there. So, Brian, what would you like your first match to be?
1: Okay, so I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you this is probably going to be anticlimactic because there's there's no five star matches on this. There's I don't think there's a single tope suicide. Well, now there is a tope suicide, but they're more personal choices because there's my this, good. You know, I, I get three for the rest of my life. It's got to mean something.
2: That's that's the whole thing about this. I don't, I, I don't, I always worry that sometimes people get bogged down in they need to be the best matches. Well, no, they're, they're matches that mean something to you and have some sort of personal reflection on you. So that's good. I'm glad there's no five star, and I'm glad that they all mean something to you.
1: Exactly, and that's the thing. If I want if it's only a three wrestling, is supposed to make you feel something, it's supposed to make you react to it. So these are three that got me. So uh the first one
2: is one of it's John Cena versus Brock Lesnar SummerSlam twenty fourteen. Oh, now am I? This is the what? This was amazing. uh This is the basically the night that John Cena gets basically battered into a fine powder. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's a fifteen minute massacre, and it's it's good from the shock because I remember watching it, just my jaw hitting the floor. I can't believe they did that. But now being part of the sport and being behind the production of it, all of it is just beautiful. I mean, you got Cena because every time, every time he gets that little bit of hope spot, Lesnar very convincingly is that monster who shuts it down. I mean, from the when he uh, you know comes at him fist roll, and you hear the crowd pop up like, okay, this is when he turns it around, but then he doesn't. And then he gets the you know the the F U or you know the attitude adjustment, and they're like, okay, oh, hey, this is when he turns around. Was it? And then he got up and laughed at him, and you see Cena fall apart as Lesnar's laughing at him, and you get the one kid in the background going, "Let's go, Cena!" And it's one kid. Oh, the, 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 the commentators—it's all hushed tones. It points. I can't. That's from the opening bell. You know, it's like from every bit of it, just was exactly what it needed to be, and it, it, and it sucked you in. Like I watch it sometimes, and still be like they
2: really didn't expect that but I know they did I know they did but it's just that's the point you know what I mean I I didn't expect that it to be such a one-sided drumming I really didn't and and I like that in in only really in recent memory WWE have got braver doing stuff like this because historically like you know you watch stuff from the 80s and the 90s it's it's the main event that has to do all the heavy lifting you have to have your broadways for the main event you have to have uh, those 45 minutes to an hour epics in something in the old eight in the 80s and then in the 90s it would still be the lion's share of the night would belong to the main event even if you know the main event couldn't really go the lion's share i'm looking at you diesel and mabel um how dare you now these are kings but here's the thing with those two, <clears throat> on a slight tangent, is that Diesel and Mabel stank the joint out at SummerSlam 95, like some like 20-odd years, almost 20 years before the match that you've chosen. And then yeah. on the last Raw of 1995, they do Diesel versus Mabel, and it lasts 10 seconds. And it's Diesel just jumping Mabel, Hoofing him in the face of the big boot and pinning him. And I was like, if that had been the SummerSlam main event, that would have been spectacular. But be they, weren't, they weren't at a point to do that. But at this point, you had, you know, Brock Lesnar dominate and decimate. I'm trying to think in terms of hope spots from that match that you mentioned. I think that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because this is your match. I think there's maybe two. Uh, Yeah, man,
1: there's like two, two to four. I know he, he got the, uh, the FCF. He got this mid uh, shots and he got the, um, um, I can't even remember what his submissions called. The right SDF,
2: now, right? the SDFU. Uh, got,
1: he got the SDFU in. So he got, he got at least three, but every time that's the thing, because you heard that crowd just in what they're trained to do and that reaction to, oh, here, John's going to come back. And he didn't. And not only that, he looked embarrassed afterwards. And that's, it's just mm, such a tasty like everything, everything landed in Lesnar laughing at him and seeing just his face melted. <laughs> I
2: Ugh. think if, if Lesnar hadn't been sort of galvanized as the final boss of wrestling at WrestleMania 30 when he beat The Undertaker, I think that did it. But then they kind of yeah. went back a couple of paces because they had Survivor Series where Goldberg turned up and beat him in like a minute and a half. I was like, OK. Yeah. But again, it's that bravery <laughs> to go. We're going to put on a main event that's 90 seconds long but it's going to make perfect sense. I wouldn't want Goldberg and Brock to go more than 90 seconds. I think that's the adequate amount of time for them. It didn't go well the first time didn't nope. go super great the first
0: time <laughs> and you
1: know those who don't uh learn from mr you're doomed to repeat it and i think Vince's like, nah,
2: eventually i think 90 seconds is fine yeah keep Given those, those matches, matches, super short. Short. <laughs> so um a lot of these matches a lot a lot of the matches that we choose on on the desert island Graps, this is something about where you were at the time that always rings a bit true so where was brian when all when this was going on where were you watching uh
1: Man, I was, I was a very different Brian at a very different time. Uh, I was living in a uh, studio apartment. Uh, I think I was working. I remember I was working at GameStop at the time. I just quit doing stand-up comedy, and I didn't really know what I was going to do next. So I was kind of at a really weird crossroads. Uh, but that actually, I will say to that end, that's probably a time I dug into wrestling a lot more than usual. It was, it's, a, it's a comfort thing. It's something I could watch and enjoy and lose my, something. I know it's... Uh, corny or, you know, overstated to say that at this point, but yeah, it was, a, it was, you know, thanks for bringing it up, Tom. I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, it was a lose a low point of wrestling was one of those things that I could lose myself in And Maybe that's why seeing something like that and knowing some I was seeing something out of the norm or breaking that wave. Uh, maybe that did me. Maybe, maybe that's something that stuck with me. I can't, I need to talk to my psychologist probably
2: <laughs> you can talk to me it's fine but there's um there is something about no I I hear you on the escapism front because that was wrestling for me for a long time was was escapism it was having something that was that could take you out of whatever was going on around you that you could lose yourself in and it still is it's even though now like for, for you and myself it's 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 the job um i i mean i can only speak for myself so i'll ask you the question like do you i mean i mean obviously your wrestlemania weekend you've just had kind of answered that question but do you still feel like you can lose yourself in wrestling the same way that you did with with the brock and cena match
1: absolutely yeah um yeah I, and i think it's a little different now because being behind the curtain i can't help also look at production but like i said in the lesnar cena match that helped me appreciate it more uh from a different standpoint but uh, when we knew CM Punk was coming back to AEW when uh, Daniel Bryan, we knew was rumored to be showing up in AEW. Me, uh, Tony Gunn, uh, Dan Stevie J, my you know my co partner at that desk. I mean, the, those things still, as if you're a wrestling fan, can excite you and you can take yourself out of, oh, this is what we get paid to do, and you can live in that moment and breathe in that moment, like because you've had those small bits of those moments. You know i've had like a steak on a toothpick version of those moments <laughs> be able to sit there though and watch someone get the full meal until you you can respect that and appreciate it and almost feel it in a different way but yeah i can you, you can still lose yourself in a very different sort of way it's like uh, i don't watch the hall of fame because i feel like it's an office party i wasn't invited to so i can't sit there and watch it that's a good but that's a good impos- description actually yeah <laughs> But in a positive way, that's how I feel about watching someone really get that full stake. You know what I mean? It's the exact opposite of this is an office party. I'm not allowed to go to. It's a I'm watching someone really achieve their dream, really grab that brass ring, pal.
0: Like I'm really <laughs>
1: seeing that escalation and uh, from a knowing what it feels like on a small version, it really makes you feel appreciated for that person all the more. If that makes sense,
2: it does. When did you first get into wrestling?
1: Uh, I like guess a fan or as a work- as a fa- as a fan. Oh gosh, man. Um, I can remember being tiny tiny with a uh, little Frankfurter fingers, uh, you know, playing with the old LGN figures. Uh my mom's boyfriend had a bunch of the old ones, so I can remember playing with those. I remember specifically Andre the Giant who his little dog had like bitten half the head off of, but I was like still great Andre the Giant. Fantastic. Um so I've always been a, a peripheral knowledge, um, but uh, I would say when I really dug my teeth in, when I really started diving into NWO was starting to happen. Uh, there was the, the Monday Night Wars was starting to happen. The moment that sucked to me was uh, WrestleMania, headlined Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels, which we might talk about that again later.
0: Mm-hmm. But there was that WrestleMania
1: specifically that dug its teeth in. I was like, all right, this is it. This is fantastic.
2: Were there other people around you at that time, friends, family members that were wrestling fans too?
1: um it was a friend actually asked me he's like hey you uh, we're, we're gonna watch wrestlemania at my uncle's do you want to come over and I was like I know of wrestlemania I really enjoy what I know of wrestling again peripherally um I was like so yeah sure let's let's dig into and the the 64 games at the time did not hurt
0: <sighs> did not hurt at all
1: to help introduce you know even if you weren't uh, accustomed to it you knew at that point you had some introductory knowledge so I go over to this guy's this house. It was, it was I'm not gonna lie to you. It was a crappy house, but I, it was one of those things where that everything around me went away as the pay-per-view started happening. Because you had a uh, you know Terry Funk and uh, Cactus Jack versus the New Age Outlaws. You had Triple H. You had The Rock. You had X. You had X-Pac. It was all. It was a great. No, no wait, no X-Pac was the next time. My apologies. It's so over New Age Outlaws in D. My apologies. Anyway. Had it, it was just such a good WrestleMania, and I remember this dingy house around me going away and just being sucked into this TV, And especially that that last sequence Stone Cold, Tice, and Shawn Michaels. It was, again, it was just one of those moments where everything worked.
2: Uh, N64 games you mentioned there. Are we talking yeah. um, Warzone Attitude, uh, Revenge, or No Mercy?
1: <clears throat> uh, we're ta- uh, okay. Obviously, we start with Revenge. We're starting with the WCW <clears throat> game, but we'll mm-hmm. start with World Tour. Oh, World wow. World Tour.
2: Okay. Nice. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, that, that was. I remember even, I can go back and play now, and I'm like, I don't know a good chunk of these people. Some of these are clearly made up. But then, like, knowing some of the names, but then knowing the other names are like people I should probably never have heard of, fascinated me. I was like, this guy is out there somewhere living his life in Tokyo. <laughs> and I'm this little kid in Kentucky playing the same on the 64 game, which was a ton of fun. Um, so that was what, you know, obviously, it's a world tour. Then you got WWO Revenge. Um, yeah, but then, obviously, No Mercy. That yeah, so sixty four. That's where it really got me. I wasn't a big fan of the PS one options. Nothing mm. on the PS one really blew my hair back.
2: But but I, No Mercy is is iconic, and the fact that it, to this day we still talk about it is so fondly, I think speaks volumes.
1: Cool. Well, I think a big part of that, I mean, for me at least, was the creative character. How smooth and simple it was. It wasn't overbloated at the time, but you could still do enough. I made a blue version of Kane and gave him a different mask and called him Abel and
2: created this on <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask you about your creator, Restless, and we now know it was a blue cane Yep. <laughs> so, Abel oh sorry abel i apologize so, so how did so that you made the storylines because again like with 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 and and this is something that i did as well with with WrestleMania 2000 and no mercy we didn't have like the story modes so you had to write it down somewhere to keep track of everything so you yeah. had Kane. were kane and Abel a tag team or were they uh at odds with one another oh no no i
1: had kane and uh abel would appear during a undertaker and kane match as the third brother ah. obviously Paul Bearer in tow because I was young and I saw it happen with Kane. I was like, well, that's fantastic. Let's do that again. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of my thought there. Is they would come out and actually have this, you know, brotherly feud to be a triple threat for a little bit. But eventually everybody comes together as one big happy family. That was my uh, that, that was my broken
2: home dream
1: is that they all just eventually get along. <laughs>
2: Was that played out through rest through through the wrestling games? Then <laughs> the dream. Yeah, of, and Tom. Of, I,
1: think that, I want to thank you for the three uh, therapy session I'm getting here that I didn't expect. <laughs> really working through some stuff. This is good.
0: Hey,
2: you're very welcome. It's <laughs> I'd like to thank you because what's happened now is for the second week in a row on Desert Island Graps, we've had a, a a a fantastic wrestling commentator talking about the video game No Mercy. It is what we call a unident, an unusual incident, and it's happened beautifully in two weeks. So I'm proud of that. So thank you for making it's, that come
1: alive. So maybe it's that's where the simulation started, Tom. That's where it all started it was when we all first played oh, No Mercy.
2: It might do. It might do. Incidentally, if, should you ever bump into Tom Hannafin, start talking about No Mercy, and you guys will immediately get on.
1: <laughs> a, I, uh, I actually, I, my, he was one of my first fanboy Twitter experiences, actually. I oh, saw him. nice. I'm a Mark, man. I am what I am. I, we were yeah, small X, be
2: proud of it. Really,
1: we wouldn't be in the business if we weren't. You know what I mean? Like, why would you be in a business of something you didn't enjoy? Enjoy what you enjoy. Uh, but I saw him at a, a small NXT show in like a nowhere, Indiana. And I saw, I wasn't expecting him. I saw him walk out. I was like,
2: oh, hey, that's Tom Phillips. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I was like, the only person that I tweeted about. It. I was like, I just saw Tom Phillips. He got super excited. So I'm assuming I'm like one of 10 tweets he got that night at this Nowhere House show. <laughs> Then he liked he... it and retweeted I was like look at me go oh,
2: ah yeah. what a guy what a guy I like that a lot when you were so now uh, you that you discovered wrestling and through the video games and watching uh, in 98 you were falling in love with it um what was the what was the plan at this point for young Brian because I know you went to University of Louisville and mm-hmm. what was it that what was the hopes coming at the other end of uh, of University what were you hoping to to do
1: um I don't think i was ever in school to do something i should be like i went to school just because that's what you're told to do you know Mm -hmm. i i think it was hammered in my head you you, you go to school get married you have kids you die it's like oh well that's a pretty easy schedule to remember (laughs) um and then somewhere in there i was like well i don't necessarily like that schedule and so let we should mix that up a little bit um So I got into like acting in some crappy movies, which this is the simulation starting, or the dominoes starting to fall as they need to. And Al Snow killed me in a crappy B or D list horror movie. F list. What's below F list. (laughs) -list? It was was a terrible horror movie, but he killed me in and we met. So what was the movie?
2: You've got to tell us the movie. uh, It was called hell house. Uh,
1: I don't know if you know about rock star, Ronnie Jonah. She was an independent wrestler for a little bit. She was in it as well. She's uh, the Mrs. ex-girlfriend, so uh, nice. the, So but that had to happen. That had to happen for everything to happen later on. So I was in this crappy movie, um, which led to me doing crappy stand-up comedy for a long time. And I told you there was that dark period where I wasn't really doing anything creative, and it was kind of eating away at me where I was trying to do that. Get the job, go to school, get married, have a kid thing, and it just it didn't feel right. And I think sometimes the universe pushes you in a certain way. Um, when thing when you're not going the right way you just have to let it push you so all of a sudden i left gamestop i ended up running into dancing stevie j uh, we, he talked about ring of honor one day i was like oh let's talk about wrestling we became buddies started a podcast had else no one and it all just kind of went from there so i got in, in school there was really no end game that was i think that was the problem is i didn't see where i was going or where i could go and then when i kind of let go of the wheel a little bit and kind of fell into things that felt right at the time. I kind of at least didn't have so much of an game in mind. I could at least see the next step. And I think that's the point of getting out of the cage is seeing what's in front of you.
2: What felt right about comedy at the time? Um, I thought I was funny, uh, which helps. You are funny. Uh, what are you talking about? Well, that's what I'm saying I thought I don't say I was wrong. No, gonna... <laughs> that's okay then that's okay then. um no, okay. I, so i
1: grew up uh before wrestling really took me over uh, i don't know if you remember comedy central used to play snl reruns
2: all the time they they we had a little bit of um a, li- a little bit of that not so much not many places played saturday night live here in the uk but oh, i'm yeah. pretty sure the paramount comedy channel did for a little while Sorry, it's your it's your lack of accent tom that's what threw me off i thought you were <laughs> in.
1: i love your accent i'm, I'm ribbing you we ribbed the ones we like um, oh, you're
2: too kind. No, I mean we, I, the, we, we never got uh, SNL like on the regular. I don't think it's even anywhere in the UK that plays it live or anything like that. The one no. thing that the one thing I always noticed about SNL as a as a, as a British person watching it, and I don't know whether it's because I'm too removed from it or whether I'm not in on the the office party to to paraphrase, it's um, do you think that some of the sketches go on a bit too long? <laughs> Yeah. yeah i feel like i feel like they get to the joke really quick and then there's like well we've still got 18 minutes here
1: <laughs> yeah well that some of them especially if you notice that towards the end of the show the ones they keep on those are the ones that are the staff love and the first hour apparently the ones that the writers and the network love
2: ah that's interesting so yeah. it's this where you get the cross-section of them i'm with it i'm nah.
1: with it so, so you get a little bit more of those uh, ones that that to make you yawn towards the end so i understand but but that's where I thought I was going to, why I thought I would do comedy is because I, I grew up before wrestling, watching reruns of Saturday Night live as a you know seven, eight, nine, 10 year old, just watching them hours on loop. Um, and so I feel like it gave me at least better timing or at least gave me some inclination of what could be funny. And then getting into it, I think is the same thing that's attractive about it. some people being a wrestler is that immediate gratification because with comedy, you get joke response, joke response, and for your serotonin, that's fantastic. That feels wonderful. For wrestling, you know, you get body slam cheer, body slam cheer, or boo, whatever you're going for. It's a response. It's it's immediate gratification uh, on a very simple scale. And so I think combining seeing people do what I saw in my childhood that I really loved and thinking I can actually do it, and then, again, that sweet, sweet serotonin, a little bit of all of it.
2: So talk us through your first stand-up gig. ha <laughs> Um, actually involves Rockstar
1: Ronnie Jonah um, I was working at the Improv Comedy Club as a server I was uh, working there and we had open mic night we didn't have enough people in the crowd to meet the demand for the servers we had so I was like alright I guess I'm going to go home and they had constantly asked me like, because I, I said I was interested so the guy host and Danny Brown he was always like do you want to do it do you want to do it I was like, oh got to work well work tonight can't so I'm literally going to leave and Ronnie at the bar so she goes well, hey, you're not working tonight. You should go do it. And I was like, wow. I was about to leave, though. But then Danny walks up. He's like, oh, you're not working tonight? So you can do it. Uh... I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> that, so I kind of got forced into my first time on stage. But after the band-aid was off, man, like it was one of those things like, okay, that went well and I didn't die. So I think so, I can do it again.
2: At that point, then, because obviously you you weren't expecting to go on, had you got yeah. like some some material already in your head? Had you got anything planned, or did you think I'm just going to go out there and, and and shoot, brother, and we'll figure it no, out as okay. we we'll go?
1: No, I didn't go out there and shoot. I can't. I feel like now I could work the crowd better. I feel like I could because I'm more. Uh, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm drinking my my, co- my colas over here. Uh, excuse me. um I think I could work a crowd better now because I'm used to it in front of Davis arena and I'm a little more interactive in between the breaks, you know, but then there's no way I could have shoot because I was never like on stage of anybody so I went with what I had in my head as a loose idea. And what I learned is if you talk slow, if you don't have much to say, you can still fill a lot of time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they always recommend anyway and this is like a broadcasting thing that normally if you if you feel like you're talking too slow you're probably talking yep. at the right speed yep and so uh well hype that you, right back <laughs> i'm a if you notice i'm a classically fast
1: talker um so much so that before i go out to tv doug basham or tony gunn will write slow down on my hands in sharpie <laughs> <laughs> so you, you'll see some like ringside photos where i'm doing this if you look close in my hand it'll say slow down
2: that's and not a bad shout because i do that sometimes when i when i'm on air if i'm aware that i'm being loud or whatever i'll have a little sign that says slow down or or shut up or something right, to that just, effect just to keep you right
1: right you just need a little bit of reminder because you'll literally hear me pull the brake in the middle of the broadcast like, oh my gosh i can't believe this is happening right now <laughs> what a thing we are seeing like, But I feel like if you're excited, sometimes you got
2: to go a little fast. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's just, just, and and this is the the natural thing about working in a business that, that, that you love so much is that you sometimes will get carried away with it. And I always find that I always have to pair back who and what I am In a lot of situations because if i'm if i'm 100 it's it's just it's just too much for people so i forever forever have to pair i mean mean, case in point the microphone that i'm using here um the blue yeti the gain is always permanently on minimum Uh, because if it's even a slight because i'm a gobshite uh, so if it's even slightly above that then I'm stealing the term gobshite. I don't know what it means. I'm going Please to do. Later. just means that you just talk too much or you talk too loud or gobshite. Oh, okay. It's a great British word. I highly recommend gobshite. Uh, yeah, so, theref- so therefore, I have to always have it on. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an allegory for life. So it's like you always yeah. have to be the volume. You always have to turn the volume down.
1: Oh, just, well, see, I'm using it's my very fancy people. laptop microphone. It doesn't have any settings. So yeah, oh, very fancy. A... Very fancy. I like this tinny tinny look or this tinny sound I feel like I'm
2: getting you sound lovely I wouldn't stress but with um with so you did your first gig it went all right you didn't die um how long did you do the comedy stuff for how long did that roll on for
1: um I man I did it for years actually yeah. um and, and there was some success man. I probably could have pushed a little further but I also was a single father at the time so I had a lot of my time especially weekends devoted to that um but it went well but what I noticed after a while, uh, it wasn't so much about being successful as a comic. Uh, I got to start doing hosting my own open mic at a local comedy club. And I got to work there as like a special, like special uh, project manager, basically. So I got to work with local businesses to do special shows. And, and But the big thing was the open mic because I got to bring in new comics and I got to help nourish them. and say, you know what? maybe try this, this, and this. I got to see them grow and flourish. I mean, some go by the wayside and that happens, but I got to see so many come into their own. There's like a lot that have actually went on to do more. There's Holly Linnaeus, who's actually touring with Chelsea Handler right now. There's Ron Hirschberg, who's up in New York doing great things. Like, There's some great comedians that I got to see in these open mics go from being one thing to another. And that was really more gratifying than any success I was actually having. Um, and there was like there was a big rift in the comedy community at the time. There was a lot of people that didn't want to come back to the comedy club because the owner had besmirched them or they had issues. And if that, I made that my personal mission to bring those people back in, and that ended up you know, bringing in a whole new wave of comedians too. And that was the kind of stuff that I found was a lot more, I guess, gratifying than actually getting that uh pitch and response. You know what I mean? I did like hosting, I was a fantastic host, and I think that played into me being uh, doing commentary. So I was a better host than I was a comedian, but I mean host in the sense that I opened the show, but also host that I welcomed everybody that was on the show. It was important to me to shake everybody's hand and give you feedback on the set you did. It was more than just being a part of the show. It was building the show. And I think that's why being at OVW has been very uh, gratifying as well, because I've got to take these guys under my wing that I see coming, like a, Gustavo. I love Gustavo with my heart. When he Susie came in, I took the kid under my wing. I was like, I like you. Let's and I saw him grow and get better and better. Now he's rocking on NWA. Fantastic. Nothing to do with me. No success (laughs) to me for that. But I love that kid. When he got bloodied on the scaffolding, like I my shirt got covered in his blood because I carried him to the back. I love that kid. And now he's rocking it. And that feels better than anything else that I've like, you know what I mean? Like that feels better than if I would have gotten signed. That's it feels good to see him excelling like that and that's kind of carried over from comedy i think that was an eye-opening thing that it's not about individual success it's about building a community and seeing people thrive based on the community you built you know what i mean
2: and you've built an amazing community at ovw you all have and we want to get into that in a second but let's do your second match before we go any further so uh we had john cena versus Brock Lesnar from SummerSlam for your first what's your second one going to be brian
1: well, actually, I knew what I was going to say, and I spoiled it a little bit earlier. But now I feel like, based on what I just said, it makes sense to tell you the other one. Uh, so the other one, this one's incredibly personal, and there's probably only a handful of people that actually saw it. Uh, it was Corey Storm versus Justin Smooth at a uh, Impact show in Chicago. Was, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Those are probably two names you didn't know about or associate with OVW because um, they're not there anymore. But again, this is a personal. This is my list. Yeah. Uh, so.
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, This was in 2019, you know, one of the handful of months, several months after I got with OEW and really started uh, ingratiating myself and making myself part of it. um, We were doing, Impact was doing a big thing up in Chicago. They were having Sacrifice, I think it was. I can't remember exactly what show it was. It was really like a big, no, I think it was Bound for Glory, whatever it was. It was a big Impact show. But they also had like a side show they did the day before uh, where they had a bunch of wrestlers from other promotions like ac romero was there ken shamrock was there watching like there was just a bunch of different wrestlers there and OBW had a spot um and so i went up there with our commentator head commentator at the time gilbert corsi um and these two guys justin smooth and who was our champion at the time and Corey storm and Corey, much like uh, gustavo was one of those guys that i kind of taken a personal ownership in you know And seeing him come in as like a a smaller dude, a very small 19-year-old kid, and see that he worked his ass off to get to the main event, so much so that when OVW was asked to send two people in, they sent in Justin Smooth and Corey Storm. And not only that, they were the only ones that Justin Smooth got a microphone. Like no other organization who had a match there got a microphone. So they were able to really tell a story. He came out and told Corey to lay down and all this kind of stuff. He's like, look, you're a kid. I'm the champ. And Justin's move like six, eight, six, nine. He's like 280, 90 pounds. He's a big dude. So he's telling this kid to lay down. He's, and Corey smacks him in the face. And they have a good match. I mean, Justin's in like dress pants. And they have a great match. And so the story's really told. And that, for one, it meant a lot seeing Corey get to have that opportunity. So Justin's moved the same thing. Like, he was one of the first people that Steve and I worked with backstage on, like, promos and packages and working on how to talk and developing his character. So, seeing those two really fully develop and coming to their own to the point where OBW is like, these were our best. These are who we send right now to show what we're doing. Seeing so those th- guys get that. Routine.
2: So, yeah. um for th- I, I want to try and point people in the direction of this match. Is this match available where-, where people can find it? Is this. I don't think
1: so. And I feel nah. bad mentioning it. No, I no, don't feel can- bad. I uh, I did make a highlight clip reel of it because uh, that was one of the reasons I was there. I was getting footage for it because I wanted to put, put these guys over. Um, so I can I can send you that. Uh, I don't know it, where it is uh, like online, but I can at least send you that
0: because oh, it does yeah, tell like, a complete
1: amazing. story of it. And man, yeah. it, it was really gratifying seeing those guys do that, reach that level, and be and reach that point. But at the same time, it's very cool for me as a fan that I got to poke around. You know, I I, I got to actually shake hands with everybody and to talk to josh matthews like i meant to be there like um you know have you heard of how paul Heyman got involved he was backstage um, the- yeah
2: he, he, he pushed in and said oh i'm a photographer and he went in and took photos didn't
1: he yep and and anything they're like well we need someone to do this they're like yeah i could do that why couldn't i do that i do that all the time <laughs> that's how i felt like anything i was there i was like i'm shooting promos and like, hey josh i'm gonna do a video over here He's like, okay i was like i got the badge so it's okay see
0: He's like,
1: Yeah, sure. I felt like that was my Paul Heyman moment. Like, I'm not a videographer, I'm not a cameraman. And that was me really stepping, I was the only director there too. Like, and producer for OVW. So I really got to step into a different role that I've ran with since then, and not deprived from my my cold dead fingers. But (laughs) that was a really cool moment. And it was, I got to take my now wife with me. That was the first time she really got to do a wrestling thing with me. Her and I went on that trip to Chicago. So it's something her and I'll always have
2: as well. How is your wife with the whole wrestling thing? Is she a fan?
1: Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say she's a wrestling fan, but I think she likes it more than she used to. Um, But man, she's a champion. Uh, She's, well, she means she's my best friend for one, but that's a whole different thing. I I could spew about her all day. We're not going to get into that, Tom. We'll do that on our upcoming romance podcast. (laughs) Um, Don't spoil the surprise. Sorry. Oh, oh, gosh. (laughs) I told him what's in the box. (laughs) Um, She's incredible, man. Al told me very early on, uh, because her and I got together a little bit after us OVW, and I told him things were going well. He's like, you know, you need to make sure she's okay with this business. He's like, you know, that's a big part. They can love you. They can love you endlessly, but they have to understand what this business is. He's like, that's a whole different type of person. And I think probably about a year and a half into it, maybe a little over. like We had filmed the OVW Christmas special in our den. Like, and she sat there with me and helped me set everything up, helped decorate the room. I was like, okay, yeah, I think she's a wrestling wife.
2: Oh, bless
1: her. It is one of those things, man. When you know, you know, and I think that was one of those moments where she never, she's never really hated wrestling. I think she's hated some of the scenarios that's put us in, but she's always been incredibly supportive. And I, I couldn't have gotten as far as I had without her. Like we even did a, uh, a carnival outside of Davis Arena. And she was right there with me trying to call sponsors, trying to get everything together. She's, she's A plus, man. Good, and she don't. loves England, so you might run into us one day on the streets of England. So don't be surprised.
2: She's from England, you say?
1: No, she she says she is. She loves England. <laughs> she's a gigantic fan. Like she, when we, like com- say, like an American Express commercial comes up, and they're like, "You could travel to England." She'll go.
0: <laughs>
1: she wants to go back, man. She's uh, desperate to go back. So sooner rather than later, you might see us popping around down
2: there. Where whereabouts in England does she does she want to go? Um, I, baby, where do you
1: want to go? London it's always London Manchester Manchester's good Brighton Brighton and our dog she even named our dog Leeds but we've been told that that is not a great area to visit
2: oh Leeds is Le- Leeds is all right it's all right
1: so her uh, her dad was at a uh, a concert and you know there was someone from London there and they were like uh, "Yeah, yeah are like oh our daughter loves it you know they've even named her dog Leeds like,
2: the Leeds <laughs> oh but someone from london would say that there's a weird north-south divide uh oh, between the... oh yeah like so, so london kind of scoffs and i i'm a bit like um because i'm i'm originally from the midlands so it's kind of it's kind of got no association it's kind of like border control so it's uh... it's kind of the north <laughs> nor the south and um when I moved up here, I feel, you know, you re- you you see like the distaste that sometimes the south will have for the north of England. And it's, it's funny to be on the other side of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very, it's a class divide, if anything else. But um, because you say Manchester's one of the places, Leeds is fine. You know, my, my good lady's uh, from Yorkshire. So we know the area quite well. Uh, Newcastle upon Tyne's not a million miles away from, from Leeds either. So but we're right he's, at the top of the country. A...
1: The name fits him, man. He, he is elite I don't know. I've never been to Leeds, but the name fits him. By the way, I will be calling you Border Control Campbell from now on. I know I did Tom Tom Bigelow <laughs> before. Tom Tom, Tom Bigelow I was
2: uh, it was. We see this is this is the, what you don't get when you listen. Like the DMs that Brian have had, I've had since <laughs> since the day since the first vignette of Veer Mahan arranging this. Yes. We've gone through about four hundred different nicknames. <laughs> and you all we've
1: created such a banter and a rapport by not being able to have the show. <laughs> it's almost like we're friends. It's great.
2: But, yes, but if you come to the UK, we must bloody do drinks and hang out and all that jazz. We must Absolutely. do. I'll be, I'll be upside. I gotta
1: hear you without all the game. Now now it's a thing. I gotta hear you without all the game.
2: There you go. There you go. You gotta do all that. You gotta do all that. Although, like if you go to Manchester, great. If you go to Leeds, that'd be great. If you go to London, that'd be fine. Brighton's a bit far. Um but <laughs> Again, you had you get standards, you get you got boundaries, and I won't push those. Ah, uh, it's, it's it is it's, it's a lot. So that's a lot of traveling. So that's about that's that's uh, it's about nine hours on the train, but uh, it's been fine. It's it's much. The UK is much. I do It's weird to say. Oh, it's it's bigger than the UK, but then you're like, oh, tr- oh, fun story that I have to fly to the next town in America, <laughs> like, so I can't really complain. When like oh, we're as big as we lie. are we're
1: big drivers a lot of times if we can though because we like to do our true crime podcast because i feel like we can solve it by the time we get to our destination
2: ah that makes sense i'm i'm in awe of the of the indie workers in the u.s because when, when i've had them on they'll go like oh well we'll do the we'll do the we'll record in the morning because we've got a an 18 hour drive today <laughs> and it's just like geez, really i'm gonna shut up and never complain about having to sit on a train for three hours ever again
1: very intense, man. <laughs> Very intense. It's uh, a long way to uh, go. Uh,
2: level X uh, with uh, Blanco Loco, Axon Ray,
1: and Ellie, they will drive from Florida, literally drive from Florida. Up to, up to Louisville. It's like a 16-hour drive. They'll do the show. They'll go to sleep for like five hours, and they'll drive another five, six hours to the next show. It's insane. Like, I mean, I, I applaud their work ethic. I really do. But as a 30-plus-year-old man, I'm exhausted.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm tired seeing the itinerary, let alone doing it. Right? I'm tired saying 16 hours. 16
1: hours saying that took an hour off my life, and I know that.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll
2: want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. let's talk about ovw so
2: you 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 got killed by al snow in a z-list horror movie you then yep. got reacquainted with al snow on uh, on your wrestling podcast is the archive still available for the for the podcast by the way
1: it is yeah absolutely Excellent. it's well, it's still up and you well, can actually trace the correlation of when we started working more at ovw and when the podcast kind of stopped <laughs>
2: when it disappeared so when did the so when did the conversation turn to hey brian come and do stuff with ovw because you weren't behind the microphone immediately with ovw were you no no far from it man i actually i never
1: expected to be a commentator i never expected to and it's never really a job i went for um but yeah so we did add Al on the podcast and then he and i now al doesn't really have a concept of time and he'll tell you that happily like he can Remember a conversation and tell you everything you said, your body language, all that jazz. But he could not put a life up and tell you how long that conversation was. Um, so we had this conversation. It was supposed to be like 20, 30 minutes. And I think we were on the phone for like two hours um, to the point where I had to tell my boss, sorry for the long lunch. I was on the phone with Al Snow. And he said, really? So, but after that conversation, you know, I was like, I texted him. I was like, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was great talking with you. I was like, you know, it'd be great to catch up sometime at this police time. Don't, don't murder me. <laughs> like yeah great stop by davis arena sometime and we can talk be there tomorrow so I, I you know stopped by we talked he just showed me around the arena and we and i was like you know i could if you ever need help i could possibly do this or that and he's like yeah sure Come in. start coming in on tvs so uh and i don't think he really had any idea of what i could do then al's just very open that if he likes you he can find something for you mm. or you in my case i found we found something for ourselves because i left and i called steve uh Steve's my my best friend and my kind of my counterpart uh, i don't know if you've ever like kind of met somebody and at first in yours like okay i can banter with this guy i can roll with this person it just kind of gels i hated him at first i saw him i saw his
2: curly hair and i was like this guy's gonna be my enemy uh, <laughs> but i think that makes good friendships too i think there has to be that little level of animosity just a little bit Ooh, the little surface yeah hey. a little bit and I appreciate
1: that his tete back with me was equalized. You know what I mean? Because like, in the world of comedy, you run into so many people that are so quick-witted that you, it, I don't want to say like it almost deludes you to anyone who can't be entertaining. Mm. But I think it, it, I hate saying that because it sounds very like – but I think it's more of a compliment to the people I've been around. Does that make sense?
2: No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Your, 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 your banter levels are at a relatively high point to start with, and you've kind of got to be up there. Uh, if they're not then you 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 don't suffer gladly those who are under the line
1: exactly i've reached a certain level of like expectation out of my banter yes which this is wonderful by the way you're right there tit for tat now you know to quote marilyn monroe be whatever you want but don't be boring
2: (laughs) to to quote marilyn monroe my god i've got to move because my dress is flaring up that's a famous (laughs) famous phrase from marilyn monroe
1: i like that well i like it that way i think that i mean I, I use that in wrestling all the time
2: uh, but <laughs> to that's... quote marilyn monroe the beautiful people it's all relative to the size you see but i got no that's not, not marilyn. <laughs> that's the wrong marilyn
1: <laughs> no that's no, that's what i was talking about exact... um uh, <laughs> so outside from marilyn monroe and the beautiful people which i have madison rain feud that's a whole nother thing mm-hmm. uh, she was my first match nice uh, We'll have that. We can, we can talk about that later. But oh, so we'll when I got that. into OVW our first night. That I called Steve when I left and I was like, hey, we were, we're working for OVW now.
2: Mm-hmm. Was
1: like, and to his he's like, great, sounds good. So <laughs> we went to TV. And the first night, we didn't really know what to do. And, and as like from my comedy club background, I saw people weren't being seated. So I was like, oh, that's where we can help. We can help seating because seating is important. So you can get people on hard cam so the arena looks good and full. And seeing sport in comedy because you don't want a whole room full of people in the back. So I was like, I'll help with seating. By the end of the night, I looked at and I was like, we never do seating again. I had so many open mouths with so many missing teeth yelling at me. I had uh, so many people like, I've been here for 45 years. I ain't going nowhere. Like, we haven't been open that long. So I, I was like, I was looking at like, Steve, we, we don't seat anymore. Next week, we find something different. Mm. Um, and so we kind of kept ourselves around backstage. So we could fill in. And then we started noticing that there were no like social media videos. We had no content other than posters once in a while um so and we noticed that the women's division was being underserved um so we're like let's start there so we started filming on our phones. i bought a rig on uh, amazon and we started filming on like these pre-tapes with ladies backstage and building the feud for the next pay-per-view um it was Jay Lee, callie and uh, Brittany lozen and I think the other lady's name was aaron and man I would argue by the time we got to the pay-per-view, because the videos we built for him, it was probably one of the hottest views or one that had the most steam um, because they weren't doing anything with him. I was like, yeah, you just, yeah, go have fun, do what you want. So we had kind of carte blanche. I was like, well, if you're going to let me do what I want, I'm going to do what I want. We did a... Uh, we had uh, Steve's Jaylee's bag boy at one point. She pushed down a cameraman. We did the spot where Jaylee and Steve got in the car. And then Callie snuck up behind the back seat. And you saw she was back there all along. And then jumped Jaylee from behind. Like, we did a lot of silly stuff. We even dropped the line of you, the mistake you... And this is early on writing. My mistakes were made. She said, uh, the mistake you made was that you left me breathing. That was the one thing I regret from the entire feud. Because those ladies didn't quite have that level of a Oh
2: But... But, but you, but it was it, high hopes and, 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 and high ambition. That's, all you, that's yeah. all you can ask for, isn't it? Yeah, exa- well,
1: Callie, and that's the thing. I think we had Lauren Person deliver because Callie is one of those people, again, I, uh, we took her her wing, and Callie really developed as a comedy character, um, which was beautiful. Like, she loved working with us, and eventually she asked me to be her manager. So she was a comedy character, then decided to run for president, then asked me to be her campaign manager, which made me her wrestling manager. so that was another escalation of those things like we were doing backstage pre-tapes with everybody then everybody saw what we did for the women's division So more people like can you can we do something i got an idea and that's why we started working with justin and tony everybody um and that's how i became a manager which was fantastic i really enjoyed that role uh i thought i was good at it choked a lady on some ropes once that was interesting (laughs) (laughs) but uh sarah the rebel fantastic lady love her to death uh, i think she retired from wrestling now she's doing something else but she was fantastic um, but then that ends up uh, because we did all those backstage pre-tapes there's a guy the glue of ovw i'll put him over uh, adam revolver who the entire thing would fall apart without uh, i don't know if you uh, know much about adam
2: uh only through bits i've seen on ovw so i'm um, i'm hoping you can feel me a bit more about his involvement behind the scenes
1: yeah. as well uh, yeah, Adam. So uh, yeah, Adam was on the writing team with all of us. But he's also the guy who compiles everything and kind of keeps. Um, so when uh, we're on the writing team, we have a tendency like it's a bowling thing to wind our arms up like we're doing the Dusty Rhodes elbow and just throw the bowling ball. And he is the one who puts up the garters like, no, can't do that. That's <laughs> okay. not right. Can't let's let's keep it here and he he's the guy who you know gets all the run sheets together he's the main agent backstage like when the show is about to go on he's one going to every single person going over the match like, hey, do you know the business Do you know what you're doing do you know why this is happening do you understand this do you know what your character's doing the place would fall apart without adam and he yeah, helps bring the new talent as well like he's kind of that uh, we get a bunch of emails some of them are people like me they're like i want to come in and fight i feel like i could do it and he Keeps those, but then there's some that are really talented, uh, like uh, Layla Gray and uh, Luke Curtis, who just started coming in. You know, he, they reached out to him, and he fielded it, and was like, oh yeah, these guys would be great. They've been a great addition. Place would fall apart with that, Adam. But he used to do the pre-tapes, and he hated it because he had so much other stuff to do, like for TV. Uh, and then one day, we were on the writing meeting and said something about because uh, we were doing the backstage stuff, and he's like, why don't we have uh, why don't we have the, the social media guys take over the pre-tapes for TV? And I was like, yeah, sure, we can do your job, Adam. He was, Great, fantastic. And then on TV that week, we thought he was kidding, but he came to me and goes, all right, guys, here's the run sheet for the repeat tapes we need. Here's the camera. Go get them. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? And we've been, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I took that as a compliment, though, because Adam is not someone who would just let it happen poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he might have been brash and abrupt about it uh, uh, and very casual about it. But, yeah, I took it as a huge compliment because he means we were doing good enough that he trusted us with TV. And we've been doing it ever since then. So, yeah.
2: And what yeah. I love about your story is, and it's it, it's a it's one that even to this day, like, cause I get messages from people saying like, how do I get involved in? How do I how do I do the things that you do? I want to do those things. And so mm-hmm. much of it is just taking initiative. So much but, of it is just going, okay, well, I you know, I want to do podcast. I want to do channel. Well, just start. I want to go work for this wrestling promotion. Well, reach out and see, and you know, and be be willing to do anything and everything and do whatever. Um, yep. you know and, and so it's, that's the it's it's a weird it's a weird one to explain because it's hard to teach people initiative yeah because you, you've either got initiative or you haven't
1: well I think a lot of people and it's what because people ask us like well you know I because I, we get the students you know what can I do to do more what can I do and I'm like well I mean don't wait to be asked mm. like no one asked us to do, do backstage stuff we just saw that it could be done I mean no one asked us to start doing that and no one i mean adam asked us to do the backstage pre-taste but we started doing it Callie asked me to be her manager i mean you, you don't always wait to be asked you just kind of put yourself in a situation that happens
2: i think a lot of people wait to be asked to do stuff yeah and the the the, the true secret in the source is just if you've got an idea for something just just go in and and, and push for it and and yeah. see you know be you know, initiative is what it is is what it is i'm you know not to, i won't out who they are but somebody sent me a message about four months ago and they said um i'd love to do more radio work can i send you a demo for you to have a look at and i was like yeah happy to help and yeah. i get an email from them probably once a month saying uh oh i haven't done it yet because this has happened and this has happened and it's just the point where i'm going okay uh, but really i want to put look i don't i put it sounds really harsh but i don't care because this is for <laughs> this is Thank this this is for your benefit. Like it's, it doesn't, it doesn't change my day if you haven't sent it me. It, it affects yeah. yours. So maybe they're listening. Exactly. If so, that's just so you know. I do care, but I also don't care. Like, because
1: yeah, like, you're like, I'll make time to do it, and then like,
2: it's like. They're like well, well, team. was like, I wasn't asking you for it I mean you're not inconveniencing me or just no but but it would, it would it would behoove you to do it so I can help you but you know yeah. I can't until you do so it's initiative yeah. initiative is the way and this leads to you now in your position as a commentator which you know marrying your your love of hosting and wrestling like yep. when when you were asked to do that gig for the first time like what was what where were you what was the reaction to doing it and 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 all of that must,
1: uh, it's a perfect segue it's uh, so i had actually you know al is a co-owner in uh, collar and elbow uh i was looking to do a call cultaholic sort of thing for collar and elbow and do lists i was <laughs> and i was gonna do like a, a ten list thing so i made a demo for for al and for rod i'm just gonna shout out, i love you rod rod is one of the, the main owner of collar and elbow i guess or the, like the, the feed under the company dude is one of the coolest people around i, I he's like uh, the big lebowski if he had a lot more ambition and drive <laughs> he's the yeah. coolest dude but so i did i did a pitch video for that like, you know i did the list it was uh and al i think saw that and liked me on camera and that turned into uh because we were doing uh, commentary for the dark matches and then al came up to us backstage afterwards and he's like look brian steve you guys can't do commentary anymore like, what why? Because I'm going to give you your own show. <laughs> Open with that, man.
2: Open with that. <laughs> so,
1: so then we we did an overdrive, which the best wrestling show that ran for 70 episodes of all time. That was <laughs> I, I'm very proud of that show. That's the thing I can say we did. We put out, and it's a product that I am very, very, very proud of. We wanted to make it like the Super Mario show, the Lou Albano show where we did skit and then match, skit and then match. You know? Mm. And I think we, by the fifth episode, we just started getting really weird. I think I was naked in Alice Snow's house by the fifth episode. <laughs> uh, we did a throwback to the 1920s where we're like, we had cigarettes and martinis and we were talking like this. And I was like, like it was such a weird show, but it was brilliant. I loved it. And uh, we got through 70 episodes, like a full year. And then I, uh, the new owners came in and wanted to do something different. But I know Al saw in that. Steve and I had, uh, when the red lights on, just go to us at that point and uh our our current commentator gilbert corsi was uh, on his way out like there's just kind of a mutual i'm done now right before we went back to live shows because it's during the pandemic when we couldn't do live shows so we have two people they have a lot of radio experience i think might have been expecting the gig um and with all due respect probably had a more of a claim to it um because they had a lot more years in it they had a lot more polish um and because it's AJ McKay and uh, Eric Corners are very talented. They're our ring announcers now. Those guys have years of broadcast experience and they're very talented. And they're very invaluable at OVW. So I think everyone was a little shocked when Al put me and Steve on the desk. <laughs> um, again, because I, I, we did Overdrive and that was a comedy show. It was fun. And we kind of told like Al, we're not going to go out there and be somebody different. I'm not going to be like a serious guy now. Like I don't, I, that won't work. It'll be a lie and everybody will know it. So, I knew who you were when I put you out there. So while we were all very shocked that they didn't put the Polish guys with experience out there, uh, we went out there and made the best of it. Um, and I think it worked because we came back. We weren't even at Davis Arena at first. We were at a, a smaller arena in Jeffersonville, Indiana, because we couldn't run in Kentucky. So it was a smaller setting. Uh, I can say it now because I think we're far enough out. Uh, we were there with Shannon and the dude. We'd sneak a beer here and there at the desk. To just the AC didn't work, and we earned it.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but it was a very, it was a, it was very cool because it was almost like a humble beginnings. Like we're working, or it was like we're working a smaller show, we're working a small arena as our first commentaries, and then we got to come back to sold out Davis Arena for our first night doing commentary at Davis Arena. It was just such a come up moment. It felt like a, I felt like a story mode. <laughs> I was, I was backstage. Then I got a show. Then I upgraded and became a commentator. It was a small venue. And then I got the the bigger sold-out Davis arena venue. And then that was the end of story mode, apparently, so I've just been riding that in for a while. Oh. It's like uh, No Mercy when you roll over to the next year. It just kind of continues on.
2: Yeah, you just kind of like defending <laughs> you the title for it. <laughs> yeah. um, why do you think Al chose you two?
1: Um, I've asked myself that many a sleepless night, Tom. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we were really lucky that's not i gotta reword that since we're not really lucky to have a pandemic we were lucky during the pandemic to Mm -hmm. be able to work with al in a very unique way um because even for main tv it became me steve and gilbert and uh uh usually uh, doug or not doug uh man beast uh ted mcnailer uh we would do a four-way zoom call and we would incorporate matches and pitches. That's how my feud with Madison Rain started, was on that show. So we were, we, that was very uniquely produced because um, we were all in the same of the arena, but we're all in four different rooms. And was trying to communicate with all of us. And then Overdrive clearly was just me, Steve, our cameraman, Daniel, which we called Mary at the time. Uh, that was its on ongoing story. His entire family got killed on Overdrive, which is great that I can say that. <laughs> uh, we had a murderers guy we had a like a seven foot murderer on overdrive it was fantastic like you don't get that but anyway uh, <laughs> so i think working in all these unique experiences and just you he's got to work with us in such an intimate setting just the four of us and we would get to actually banter and work it out and figure out where we wanted to go and he saw the ups and the highs and lows they say i've read somewhere before that's over 70 percent of marriages start in the workplace because you see the best and worst of somebody. Mm. You can see how they are when everything's going right. You can see how they are when everything's going wrong. And I think Al was able to see with Steve and I, how we react when everything went great and then how it went poorly. So I think he knew whatever situation he would put us in that we could handle it. And I think a big thing with Steve and I, that a lot of people aren't going to be able to ever get is we came into this business as buddies and they say, you can make money or you can make friends in wrestling and I think Steve and I are very blessed that we came in together already as really good friends because, I mean, like, I can trust him. No matter what, I know I have that one, and that's a big win in wrestling because not everybody can say that because there's a lot of looking over your shoulders, a lot of worrying about your spot, and that doesn't really – if Steve and I were doing commentary tomorrow, we're still going to be best buddies, and we're still pretty much going to do commentary when we hang out, you know what I mean? And there is a strength and a confidence to that that I think a lot of people wouldn't have. They're always worried. This guy next to me is going to try to do better. He's going to try to replace me with somebody he likes working with better. I don't have that
2: concern. I don't think Al does either for us. That's lovely to hear. Making money and making friends. Yeah. yeah. Not many get to do both. Not many get to do both. Um,
1: no, man. They really don't. And I, I think we've been really lucky too. Like I will say, because I don't think you've heard me say Tony Gunn a few times. We uh, we have what we like to call our super group. Yeah. Um, it is a group of me and Steve and his wife and my wife, Tony and his wife and a couple others. It's a it's couples that actually get along all of us together. It's a group of 10 of us that we've been so lucky to find that we can actually all interact. Like if I end up with whoever else's wife, just talking to them somewhere, I can talk to them. If I end up with this dude over here, I can talk to them. And I think we all, everyone has that exchange and that all came from wrestling. So Steve and I came in as buddies and that helps us uh, from the rapport standpoint, from a trust standpoint, but wrestling has been very, very generous to me as far as what's offered to me on a like a deeper spiritual level as well. I like get a commun communal level? Is that a word?
2: Yeah, yeah. A community. Yep, yeah, commun I think communal is a word. If it's not, we've created yeah. it.
1: Yeah, it feels good. It <laughs> yeah, feels right. It
2: feels right in my <laughs> mouth. That's good. That's good. Uh, we're gonna get to your third and final match uh, in just a few moments. Before we do I like to surprise people with this. It's a nice little question. Really? Oh, it's all right. It's nothing evil, I promise. Because um, no. it's nice to get the first reaction from people as to what they, and how they answer it. As well as taking three wrestling matches, I'm also going to let you take uh, a movie, an album, and a luxury item. So, a luxury item can be uh, a bit of tech. It can be something with sentimental value. It can be something useful. It can be uh, a whole number of things. We'll touch on that in a second. But a movie, if I was to say to you, Brian, you could take a movie with you, what is the first movie that springs to mind that you would want to take?
1: Oh, man. I'm going to, it's not a right or wrong answer, but I'm going to get it wrong. So, I'm going to think, like, later, I'm going to, like, message you right as soon as we're done, like, (laughs) taking that change. Can we do, like, a
2: like an after audio thing. Um, <laughs> just a little guy like, copy, like record, send me a voice memo. We'll add it in. <laughs> yeah.
1: But from, from my gut and it's just the first thing that popped in my head. And maybe again, just because we're talking about the match I'm about to bring up in the time period and everything, but uh basketball would go nice. with me.
2: So this was uh, like yeah. Matt and Trey at the height of their South park power.
1: Right. It, with it, with it was just, it was something totally movie. unique and different and move like an edit that I'd seen in a movie. And I think it's very quotable. Uh, and I gotta say, uh, I would stray away from emotional things, taken on sentimental things on a desert island with me, because I don't want to really fully think of everything I'm lost. I think the things I'd be bringing with me would be for escapism. You know what I mean? So, uh, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to bring my wedding tape because I would just miss my wife. So that would be. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to do one of those sorts of things. You don't want to bring your your favorite movie with your kid because you're just like, man, I can't see my kid. So, I will go with baseball because it's nice and safe and I can, uh, I can laugh about it and escape from the tortures of this desert
2: island. <laughs> How about an album, <laughs> sir? Uh,
1: album? I think we're going to have to go Bleed American Jimmy World. It's not, it's not even something I listen to all the time, but it's one I can pop in anytime. And be like from beginning to end, it's just bangers. It's such a good album. And it's, it holds a special place in my heart for the time period I heard it and everything, too. Uh, it just barely beats out Enema of the State because um, I would want a little bit of emotional depth in my music. So that's why I'm going bleed American over Enema of the State. But that this it, is top to bottom, man. Are you a Jimmy World fan?
2: I, I know of them. I don't know enough about them to... They did uh, take some time. Yeah. Yes. I was in here. <laughs> the one that Kelly Clarkson <laughs> ripped off a few years ago. That was, a, <laughs> that was a
1: really good song, Tom. You
2: did really well. Thanks, mate. Beautiful. I thought I game. sounded just like... <laughs> Oh, it's just like the Jimmy Eat World. Um, you the, ate the world I ate the great. whole bloody world. Uh, <laughs> how,
0: about,
2: <laughs> how about a luxury item, man? What would you like to take with you as a luxury item? I mean,
1: is I feel like luxury is relative, so I mean, it just depends mm-hmm. on. Like, I wouldn't want a foot bath. That doesn't really add up to me. Um, my phone would be nice, so I could stay in contact, and maybe. Get to the authorities to get saved. <laughs> uh, but I feel like that's a cop out answer.
2: That is a cop out answer. I don't. I don't. Um, know if I can let you take your phone.
1: You know what? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go massage chair with the, uh, because nice. uh, we we sprung for the expensive membership at the gym because we we got our, uh, our New Year's resolution. We're trying to stick to it. Um, but part of that was well, we'll pay the extra few bucks and get access to the massage chairs. And man, uh, you've seen uh, Adam's family. Mm-hmm. Remember, when Uncle Fester sat in his bed and he just sunk into it. Yeah, that's what these chairs—that's what they are, man. I just go Ooh. into them, in my arms and legs just get sucked into this thing, and it's it's glorious. And it, I feel like I'm being rubbed by like a million ants at once, and it's fantastic.
2: See, I would be tempted just to use the gym just for the massage chair.
1: There are some people to do. There's, there's, <laughs> yeah, our first day there, I kid you not, I saw a dude come in, didn't look at the gym at all, took the massage chair number, went straight to the chairs then i literally saw him leave <laughs> so you're 110 right there that's, are people that are like i'm just in this for the chair it's cheaper
2: that's my hero that's my hero right there he's in it for the chair what
1: a guy it's <laughs> it's cheaper than trying to get massages man it's so much cheaper
2: <laughs> let's get on to your third and final match then so we had uh, we had a belt where ovw was was represented on the road we had uh brock lesnar versus john cena from summerslam a decimation on that part what's your third and final match going to be Ryan?
1: so this one it does have a little more emotional depth to it. this one people can actually find a lot easier uh stone cold john michael's mania tyson as the enforcer
2: tyson 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 hit Austin. Yes, tyson. Uh, <laughs> that was that that punch at the end was, is a standout moment to me so where was so so at this point so you discovered wrestling at this point uh you had been switched on to it uh you were yep. playing uh wrestling games at this point but why this match in particular over all the other matches that you could have chose at this time frame why this one in particular
1: um it was my first main event is, is the easiest thing I can say um because the whole, like I understood the, the levity of it, even as a young child and how big of a celebrity Mike Tyson was. So I understood the cultural relevance of it too. And just, it was such for me, Like at least as a perfect age, but that every match that night, everything just built and, and built and built and everything. I was like, man, I am a wrestling fan now. And they're like, well, great. Here's a good main event. And I was like, whoo it was just the right thing at the right time. Like when they, and you get just enough room left in you for dessert, at dinner. And then they're like, here's your favorite dessert. You're like, oh, it could not be better. And it just, everything coalesced in this beautiful moment at the end where I just kind of, I, again, I wasn't aware of this dingy house around me anymore. I was totally there. I was watching Austin go for his dream, the sweaty, bald man, beating the snot out of this pompous, long-haired guy with really cool wrestling tights. Those were, if you remember, he had the hearts with the X's over on that one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you had Tyson, who even as a kid, I'm like, he's going to get involved, right? He's got to do something like I knew nothing about the business or writing or anything. But I'm like, he's got to get involved, right? He's there. He's Mike Tyson. He's going to do something. So it's something about all of it. In that moment, felt so magical to me. And I guess even to this day, even though I know there have been better work rate matches or better whatevers that main event to me still just put against anything else. Like it was magical. I don't care. That was the one. You know, the next night, it was the reign of Stone Cold started. I mean, it was something about it, man. I Again, it's a personal thing. It was the time of my life. It was where my brain was in that moment. It was the the endorphin rushes that were specific to that match that I can't tell you. I, and I know, again, there are better matches, but not to me. That was it. That was because I can rewatch that and know, like, that's the moment I became a big part of who I am. You know, there's not, I think that's something off wrestling offers that, some things don't. Is that I can look back and say that's where this chunk of me came from. That moment, that match is where this part of me came from.
2: I think it's it's there's an extra special feeling about it when you go sort of behind the scenes on it and you realize that Shawn Michaels was. Was, was like on like 5% stamina at this point. Like he'd worked for years and he, his back had been hurt back in January and he just had just enough energy to get through this match. And it, it means even more the fact that this match was still very, very good. Uh yeah. and we, even with Michael's injured going into it, like he put in a career performance.
1: Like I can still vividly see in my mind's eye where he's approaching Mike Tyson, holding his back, like you're saying, he's barely able to even get over there but holding his back and still taking that punch because he knew he had to tell the full story all the way through. Even – and I think even looking back on yeah, he probably lessened some of the stuff he would have done in that match because he didn't have to do as much because he was a despicable heel at the time and he knew how to tell the story. But I think that was a big part of it too. I'm like, this guy's such a jerk. I know he's good at what he does. And even as a kid, I'm like, I know he's good at what he does, but he's being a jerk right now. He could be working harder. Like, hook, line, and sinker, man, all of it. And I think, even, like, like you said, working with a half-empty gas tank and being able to put out something that iconic, he, he, I mean, he probably knew it was going to affect her. people. I don't think he knows the depth, of, like, like I said, that a part of me was born that day because of what those two guys did.
2: We had uh, an, another iconic Steve Austin moment just this weekend gone. So it's funny that we end on steve austin austin faced kevin owens his first match since 2003. uh what were your thoughts as an austin fan drinking the uh the in-ring return of steve austin in from wrestlemania uh,
1: so he should always be drinking miller light by the lighter he, he shouldn't be drinking tall boys it takes away <laughs> from the visual i need to see his hand wrap around the cane completely it's mm. can, it can't hang out below i get it though it's brandy i understand that but man he looked good i didn't have an issue with it at all like he a Stone Cold stomping a mud hole in somebody. And he took a suplex on the outside, a 56-year-old man. Yes, absolutely. I think he did a fantastic job. And the crowd ate up every bit of it. And I don't think there's really much more you can ask for out of that.
2: No, not at all. We talk as well about sort of brave booking decisions because uh, that was kind of this, this John Cedar brought Lesnar match. We talked about that. This one was the the fact that you, you, you didn't announce that Austin was going to wrestle because you didn't want to like put any pressure on it so yeah. but then going into it the idea of being like the kevin owen show is the main event of wrestlemania night one that's a weird choice if nothing physical happens that's so like a lot of bravery in in booking like that uh knowing yeah. but then still knowing what we got and i was i was thoroughly sports entertained by it
1: well right and i think they're getting better at They know people know what they're expecting. You know, they know what people are expecting. Like with Cody Rhodes, they didn't ever need to say Cody Rhodes because out there enough, they're like, we can just milk it. I think AEW did the same thing with, you know, Dave Bryan, CM Punk. They were great about, they're obviously coming. We don't need to tell you. We'll just let you buy your tickets and let you get excited. Hmm. I think WWE is doing a really good job about that. So with the KO show, I think you knew because there was all the rumors about matches. You knew there was going to be something at least longevity-wise and physical. So even if it wasn't a match, it, it could be construed as a match. All, at the end of the day, and it's the Al Snow and me, a match is just something you say you're having. It's a piece of paper. It's it predetermined, blah, 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 whatever. You know, Stone Cold comes out and fights somebody for 15 minutes. I'm still happy with that. You don't have to call it a match. I don't have to hear one, two, three, as long as you got a co- good closing spot. You know what I mean? Mm, absolutely. But it was a nice touch, and it was very brave of them to go for it. It was a little quick how it happened. He's like, I challenge you to a match. All right. <laughs> Boom. it's a match now like i would have liked a little more like you know putzpa and drama put into it but at the same time like you're right i think it, put, it would have put too much pressure on it the way it was was done fun.
2: Mm,
1: absolutely I, think, I am so grateful the what chan didn't come back that was my one big fear
2: mm, it, it, it and- teased it it teased it a little bit and it, if, if, he
1: does, if he does it full bore one more time, it's another ten years before we lose it again.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think he knew that as well. He knew the power that he had. Uh, the the his appearance on night two was was a wonderful surprise. I think because we, it's weird because despite the fact that like Vince McMahon was in the ring with Austin Theory, I remember thinking, is Austin still around tonight? Is he? There? But then a lot of people I spoke to went, didn't even think about Austin coming out. Didn't even think about it, and then so what he did, it was even better, and he hit the greatest, be... the greatest stunner of all time on Vince McMahon.
1: Oh god! Speaking of full bore and power, shirtless Vince McMahon at almost ninety years old. God, oh.
2: yeah, jeez! I want to look that good at his age. God, right? I want to look it that good still... now. Actually, still looks like he can... <laughs> Come on, your border control, Campbell. Nobody can hold the
1: Canadian. <laughs> the man still looks like he could bite through chains. I think he still does that, and somehow that makes his arms stronger. <laughs> <laughs> it was that, amazing man, so i knew for some reason i felt it again maybe it's the attitude i felt it i was like this would be hold on they're not gonna bring austin out are they it's like baby they're about to bring austin out again my beautiful wife right there next to me I was like, they're gonna bring Austin now it's gonna happen like, what why and then tsh, there it is see yeah <laughs> i know things was, i know things <laughs> but i guess I, I, it was my assumption that vince isn't gonna take his shirt off now unless stone cold is involved Mm. or under it'd be someone he trusts he's not going to do with anybody in the in the the new breed of people you know what i mean it's going to be somebody from the old school that he trusts even if it's the ugliest i thought he died that was a terrible (laughs) stunner man do
2: you know (laughs) what i'm i'm glad that i'm chatting with you today for for many reasons but one in particular because um you i I, i'd like to think that you also appreciated the the man who deserves his flowers for that bit uh as well is michael cole because michael cole God love him. When went, when that boot went in and Vince buckled and then staggered backwards, Michael Cole yeah. earned his flowers when he went, oh, Vince is trying to get away. Like,
1: <laughs> God yeah. love you,
2: Michael Cole. That's why you're the MVP. That's why you're, you're
1: the man. Yeah, because no, he had to call what was happening in front of him. He couldn't call what – that's the thing. Al tells me all the time. You can't call what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You got to call what happens. And good on him and be like, there's no, there's no, I, I don't know if I can curse on here. There's no effing way I'm gonna bury the boss. You know, no, absolutely not in making that decision. Because he could have easily been like, Look at that nine-year-old man crumbling like a stack of bricks. <laughs> and he would have been justified. Everyone home would be like, yep. but didn't. he protected the boss, and that's why Michael Cole is Michael Cole. Absolutely. I would have totally still called Al Snow Old in that moment. If Al got kicked in the stomach and fell back like that, like, oh, look at that old bitch.
2: Wow, that's terrible. <laughs> Uh, you wouldn't then, you may not have worked for OVW ever again, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> uh, man, I feel like, I don't know. Uh, he's um, let me get away with quite a bit of stuff. Uh,
2: if, you, <laughs> if you want to hear the dulcet tones uh, you can do uh, on OVW, o- 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 you've got, uh, once again, the shows are back up and running. Crowds are back. Uh, we, this is going out um, the day after we record it. It's so going out on the 6th of April. So oh, what's on the docket for OVW in the, in the weeks to come?
1: Uh, we're on Fight TV every single Thursday. Uh, that's our biggest global partner right now. Uh, we did just get on uh, YouTube TV on the Fight Network there, not to be confused with Fight TV, spelled totally different. Um, but we're doing that every single Thursday. And then on April 30th, we got Derby City Destruction coming up. It's uh, the next OVW pay-per-view is going to be on Fight. Uh, there are some rumors of things up in here and some big names that might be coming in. Uh, I mean, obviously we got Mahabali Shira as the National Life of Weight Champion. You can't just fight a nobody and jesse goddard's can't challenge for 60 days i mean i'm saying the shira's video congratulating for the title you saw kurt angle you saw jeff Jarrett. i mean you, you saw uh, james storm you never know who's gonna pop up in ovw tom
2: mm, absolutely not yeah. if people want to keep up to speed with it as well as on fight and stuff can we find you and ovw online do all the plugs sir
1: Absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter, uh, Instagram. That's a whole different thing. It got, that's embarrassing. It got hacked. We lost our Instagram. That's sucks. don't really have a segue out of that, uh, but we got, but we got our Facebook and Twitter active, uh, you know, almost a hundred thousand followers on those two combined. You can always find us on there. I think it's at OB wrestling. I um, mean, on YouTube, you can catch our weekly episodes if you don't have access to fight or fight network or anything like that, for some reason, uh, YouTube. You can follow OVW uh, Wrestling and then OVW Weekend to catch our uh, one hour episode each week.
2: And um, where can we find you, Brian?
1: Me? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Brian Kennison with the Y, not an I uh, in the Brian, because I have some time value. See, it's an options thing. It's a power move.
2: (laughs) I like it a lot. And this uh, I've liked a lot as well, Brian. We we spent long enough trying to get this together. It has been a deep joy to spend the last hour chatting wrestling and nonsense with you. And I hope we can find an awful excuse to do it again, or maybe in the UK. When you when you, you finally we'll, get we'll over the here, the next one in person,
1: over a couple of brews, I'm, that'd be nice. I'm excited about that,
2: but not in Brighton yeah. though. Don't go to Brighton; it's too far.
1: Not Brighton or Leeds, as I understand. Le- it. Leeds is. I
2: don't mind all... those... Leeds because it's closer to me. Brighton's too far. <laughs>
1: Honestly, I think we have to go to Leeds to get a bumper sticker of some sort, it's just for our dog. So
2: I went. To, I, I went to Leeds go. and all I got was carjacked. Yeah, that's that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's the one.